And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. I want to welcome you to the uh, podcast. And uh, we're going to be talking college hockey today. And uh, we'll get to uh, our episode in just a moment. I'm going to be joined by uh, my uh, color analyst at Merrimack, one of the very best in the business, Mike Mackley. He'll be joining me here in just a moment. Uh, last week uh, on the podcast, uh, we talked uh, some more uh, play-by-play elements, uh, talked about the importance of description. Uh, I was actually two weeks ago. Last week, we heard from Mike Riley from 98.5, the Sports Hub. And we're going to be talking to uh, Mike Macknick here today. Hi, everybody. I'm John Leahy. Thanks again for being with us. Before we get into our uh, talk with Mike, we'll remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Anchor, the number one podcasting app on the market today with the Anchor app. It's so easy to make a great sounding podcast. And the best part, the Anchor app is free. The Anchor app contains creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone or computer. Anchor takes care of distributing your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many more places where podcasts are heard. You can also make money with your podcast with no minimum listenership. Trust me, everything you need to make a great-sounding podcast all in one place is with the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Well, it's uh, my pleasure to bring in uh, one of the very best that College Hockey has to offer. Uh, he's the uh, radio color commentator on uh, our broadcast at Merrimack. Mike Macknick and uh, Mike, uh, great to uh, hear from you again. And uh, how are you doing uh, here with this pandemic? Oh, thanks, Sean. It's uh, always great to talk to you. And uh, uh, thanks uh, for that kind words there. And uh, certainly the feeling is mutual. But it's, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, as you know, uh, my wife Kelly and I, we have four children all, all in school um, from third grade up to eighth grade. And uh, so it's been a lot of work with this remote learning and my wife's a teacher as well. So that's been an awful lot of work for her too. Um, But that's kind of wrapping up now, which is good. Uh, I think that everybody's looking forward to having a break there, but everybody's doing well and is healthy and and hopefully the same is there with you guys as well. Yeah, actually, you know, we're getting there. We're a little bit behind you guys in terms of the reopening process where we just started phase two here, but uh, I guess New Hampshire is a little bit farther along. Is that, uh, is that not right? Uh, perhaps it's, uh, it's, uh, we'll see. It's, it's kind of interesting because, uh, of course the, uh, the youth sports seasons, the spring seasons have been pushed back as well. And it's, I suppose it's good that it's going to get underway of, you know, for example, we've got baseball and softball here that's getting underway this week. And, uh, you know, so the kids are going to be able to take part in those activities, but with social distancing and, and, uh, all kinds of, uh, safety measures being taken as well. So it's going to be a new experience from everybody. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, stay safe up there. And it's good that we get a chance to, to chat here. And I thought, thought we'd talk about some college hockey today, Mike. There's a lot going on uh, on the landscape of college hockey. And I guess we'll start, uh, we'll go back to March where uh, the season ended, the regular season ended in Hockey East, and uh, there were no playoffs to be had. You know, we got the, uh, we got the regular season in, but, you know, we were all set for the first round of the Hockey East uh, tournament and uh, that didn't happen of course no hockey's tournament and uh, no NCAAs so this is something the likes of uh, none of us has ever seen before no that's true and kind of looking back I mean it seems now like it was almost uh I don't know in some ways it seems like it was long ago in some ways it just seems like it was yesterday but you know like you said we're getting ready for the playoffs there and uh, you know you had what was taking place in some of the other leagues the ECAC in particular where that's really where things started to shut down or you know schools were starting to d- decide they were going to hold playoff games without fans and that was expanding to the other leagues including hockey east as well and then really when the NBA uh, stopped their season that's when everybody else said 
uh, I think we kind of need to do the same thing. So, um, and rem if, remember, remember back to that time, we didn't even know at first, what did this mean? Was it going to be for a couple of weeks or so? Were they going to pick it back up again? What would happen with the, uh, you know, the post, the rest of the postseason tournaments, the NCAA tournament. Remember there was talk even that maybe there would still be an NCAA postseason, you know, hockey tournament, right. even if the conference tournaments couldn't be held. And of course that didn't come to pass either. But uh, I mean, like you said, it, 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 there's really no words because it's so unprecedented. Nothing like this that we've ever seen before. And I had always, like you, I'm sure, you know, read the, the record books of various sports. And, you know, you've got the, 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 the Stanley Cup that was canceled 100 years ago because of the, the influenza. And, of course, you had, um, you know, various uh, sports for, you know, in some way or another were affected with um, – you know, with the wars, World War II, for example, but this is, it's so far, so long ago that you just read it, read it and it sounds like ancient history, which I guess to us it really was. And now this is something that is very similar to that, that we've all uh, gone through. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know what it's going to be like when we come back and look at this time, you know, 10, 20 years from now, but it's going to be something that nobody's ever going to forget. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. And I think another piece to the puzzle here, Mike, is there's a lot of uncertainty going forward. When do we start back up again? Will it be, will we start on time in October? Or I've heard uh, possible thoughts about maybe pushing the season back to January, depending how things go. And, you know, maybe just having a, a league schedule, no non-league games. So, you know, the uncertainty also, that's another big piece of it, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's certainly a big question is uh, and it really has to a number of other things have to happen before we can even get to the point of talking about athletics. Right. So if the schools aren't uh, having students come back and, and they're not allowed to, bet, to be back on campus, well, that it's kind of a moot point. Right. It, it, there can't be any any athletics. Right. Um, but I think that's going to happen, at least at some schools. Um, and, and we're going to know before the hockey season. Uh, well before the hockey season, whether it's even happening for football, for example, that's a big one right there. And I, it seems already like some of the uh, the big football schools are already having plans to do that, to have students back on campus. I don't know what's going to happen between now and then, though. That's the other thing is, you know, it's probably it's it's one thing to maybe bring your your uh, your football players back on campus over the summers, let's say when things are quiet and maybe even do some testing of them to try to make sure that everybody's safe and whatever. But then when the entire student population comes back, I don't see how you can have football, for example, if you've only got the football players back on campus. It, I mean, it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, uh, universities and colleges, that's there for education, right? So if students aren't there, then I just don't see how they're going to be able to, to pull that off. But I think that what's going to happen is, you know, barring something like just, you know, a, a, another complete outbreak, of the coronavirus that I think that schools are going to try to give it a go in the fall. And that may vary from place to place as well. I don't know what's going to happen in, in up here in the East where football is not as big a deal. Certainly it is, you know, at, at a number of schools and, and, you know, to varying levels, whether you're division one, division two, what have you. But uh, I think what you'll have is that they'll probably try to do that as well. Maybe even offer some sort of a hybrid where students who feel comfortable coming back to campus can do that. Students who don't, you know, can still learn remotely. Um, you'll probably see, you know, let's just talk specifically about hockey. You'll probably see them try to bring players back. Um, but I also wonder about things like you've got players that are from outside of the United States 
and there have been borders that have been uh, severely limited or even you know closed down in some cases. What's that going to mean for players from coming from Canada and elsewhere? Right. I don't know. There's still so much that seems to be uncertain. Um, but you know, the folks whose job it is to take care of these things, they've they've got an awful lot to worry about, and uh, I know they're going to be working as hard as they can. You know, the athletic directors, the uh, various administrators at schools, coaches, and so on, to to try to do their best. But they're going to get direction from from other people as well, you know, from the state, from the governor, from uh, various, uh, you know, health uh, officials and so on. So to a certain extent, it's kind of going to be dictated by other people, right? I mean, if they feel like they're getting direction from those folks that it's safe to do certain things, then they'll go ahead and do it. If not, then it is what it is. Right. And, you know, I saw a recent article on uh, uh, in College Hockey News online. One of the ideas that got floated out there is, you know, if it, if it is a late start, in uh, January or so, maybe just for this year, you'd have something like temporary conferences, like 10 temporary conferences grouped by geography. So for example, the grouping I saw for Merrimack uh, would have something like BC, BU, Merrimack, Northeastern, Holy Cross, and Harvard. Like, you know, and you'd have, you'd have, you have 60 teams in college hockey, right? So you'd have uh, six, uh, 10 different conferences of six teams. So, you know, I, I think the point of it all is, though, if we start late, whether we start late or not, I think college hockey is going to have to be creative maybe to, to get this done. Yeah. If it does end up being the kind of thing where they, they aren't able to go in the fall. And, and that was one thing that I did see that, you know, the, the different leagues are talking about possibilities. And when one of those possibilities might not, might be not starting until January, of course, who knows uh, if we get to January, whether or not we, it's going to be, uh, you know, safe to do it at that point, but let's just say that it is, or that it's been decided by the folks who know more about me than this, that it is, then, you know, I, I tend to think that what will happen instead, rather than something like that, where you have teams pulled from different conferences and put into a grouping, I think that I just feel like that would be really hard to manage. And and what's, what seems to me to be more likely would be that each conference is going to be coming up with their own alternative plans, but probably also certainly uh, discussing it with the other ones so that everybody's kind of on the same page. I don't think you could have, for example, um, a, a conference start play in the fall and another one not start until January. That just doesn't seem feasible to me. It doesn't seem to make sense, but um, right, of course we are. Right, we, yeah. You have certain States that are ahead of other States. Yeah, like Michigan, sure. Michigan is lagging way behind. So, you know, for, the, for that reason alone, I think it's hard to, to manipulate. So I think in Hockey East, for example, we've always talked about the fact that being, uh, you know, associated with Hockey East, you know, as we are and, and uh, you know, doing what we do, uh, in this case, for a school in Hockey East, that it, it's easier in many ways because virtually all of the games are up and back. You know, it's a day trip. You know, schools may go. Uh, sometimes the teams may travel a day ahead of time. They don't technically always need to, but they like to do it. There's certain advantages to doing that, that you get to wake up in the, in the, in the city where you're going to play. You don't have to sit on a bus for three or four hours to get to, to somewhere and then get off the bus and have bus legs and have to deal with that and so on. So, you know, certainly that makes sense, but you could bus there and you have, you know, schools have done that many times um, to really, to any other, any of the other teams in hockey East, you can do that. So I, I would see that something like that could happen. If you're worried about things like spending too much time away from campus or away from you know where you're where a known quantity where you know you you leave your environment 
on campus where you know everybody, you know everybody, for example, has been tested and so on. And you go to other places where you never know. The bus stops on the way there, you know, guys get off, they they run in to grab a bite to eat or use the restroom or something. You know, this is where anything can happen, right? So that's probably the kind of thing that I think people are trying to avoid as well as flights. You're already seeing things like Holy Cross canceled their trip to Arizona State. Part right. of that might have been financial because schools are trying to save money where they can. Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a financial crisis as well as a health one. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that what you would tend to see with a league like Hockey East is that they could play, um, you know, a shorter league schedule just within the league and not have a problem because everybody could travel there easily and pretty much feel comfortable. But you don't necessarily have to stay over. Um, maybe if you're I mean, the outliers, they, those would be the big questions. The ones like Maine, for example. Uh, and Vermont, would they want, if they had a long trip to make one of their longest, let's say Maine's going down to Yukon, right? Normally they would stay there. Um, Maybe they would still do that, you know, and just try to make sure they're extra careful about what they're doing. I think that would make, probably make sense. Um, But most of the schools might want to just make those day trips to, you know, to the opposing teams ranking back. You might see that happen. My big question is, what about the rest of the country? How you can't do that in the NCHC or the Big Ten, for example, right? Or the WCHA. Yeah, geographically, it's a, awfully tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Where well, they have to fly, they fly everywhere. You know, if you're Denver or Colorado College, unless you're playing each other, you're flying to everybody else that you play, and that's just the way that it is. And if you don't feel that it's safe to fly, I realize that, that you know it's starting to move in that direction, where more and more people are now starting to to get on planes and so on. Uh, but we don't know what it's going to be like when you reach the fall. So you have right. to book those trips well well ahead of time. Uh, book your flights ahead of time, your hotels and everything. And and you don't necessarily know how it's going to be when you actually get to that time. Because remember, that's one of the things we had heard was, uh, you know, there could be a second wave of this thing, could come back in the, in the fall or the winter. And th- that's why there's still so much uh, that seems to be unknown right now. You just don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely, Mike. Uh, you're absolutely right. So the uncertainty piece is uh, certainly a big part of it. And let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Hockey East. Uh, obviously, the, I think the biggest change is uh, we have a new coach in Vermont, uh, Kevin Snedden, uh, no longer with the Catamounts. Uh, Kevin announced his retirement. He's replaced by Todd Woodcroft, a guy who does not have any head coaching experience, but uh, he was an assistant with the Winnipeg Jets in the NHL. And from what I've read, Mike, a lot of people feel that Vermont is going to be in great hands with Coach Woodcroft. Uh, they say his work ethic is tremendous. Yeah, first of all, we do have to say, you know, as both of us feel you know, about Kevin Snedden, we're going to miss him an awful lot. And just one of the greatest guys in this game. And he's done so much for the game as well, not just at Vermont, but, uh, you know, at the other schools that he's been at, as well as working on, uh, you know, various committees and so on, you know, giving back to the game and doing what he can, you know, to be a voice for for positive things in the game. And we know this because, uh, you know, one, one of the things I really enjoy is the opportunity to go and, and, you know, do our pregame interviews with coaches and, and talk to them about various issues, get their, you know, kind of get inside their head on certain things. And Kevin has always been so just, you know, well-spoken and well thought out. He always has the best interests of the game in mind and, you know, not only his team and his school, but also the game in general. And that's something that I, I really hope that, that the sport of college hockey doesn't lose that he somehow he, he still ends up being involved. Maybe he coaches somewhere else, but he's still involved in that way because I really think that, uh, you know, people like that are, are so valuable to our sport. Um, but then, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, th- th- it was really interesting to kind of follow what was going on. The other thing I have to mention is what a 
I mean, just what a classy move that he made by by allowing Vermont to get a, a jump start on things effectively. Right. You know, by saying that that this season was going to be the end, and that came back in January, if I recall correctly. And right. Uh, well, he wanted, you know, and, and yeah, he wanted to keep the focus yeah. on the program. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And uh, and and again, that's been my experience with him. Is that's always been the way that he's been. Is just a you know exuding class, and so that's the kind of thing that. You know, you always hope that you have that that your sport is is full of guys like that, and and fortunately, I think that it is. So, um, you know, I hope that we still see him around because uh, it's always been great to be able to talk to him about things and even just just uh, you know how family, how are things going, and things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, I hope we hope we're still able to do that. But it's a really interesting move, I think, that Vermont made. Um, you you have. Uh, you know, kind of going outside the box, uh, thinking outside the box uh, to a certain extent. Right. And uh, but everything does seem to to point towards, you know, that I, I don't really know. I don't know much about him other than, you know, the same things I've read that you have. But it sounds like very, you know, certainly very promising, has the potential, I think, to be an up and comer uh, as far as younger coaches in the game. So that's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, it's always going to come down to as anything, I think, like, you you know, um, everybody's trying to get the best players that they can. And, uh, and that's what they're going to try to do as well. I'm sure at Vermont. And the fact that he comes with that, you know, pro uh, background is, is something that I think is going to be attractive to players that are going to, well, you know, here's a guy who has spent a lot of time in the pros and knows what it takes to get there and can help me to get there too. I, I think that players are going to be thinking about that. So that, that's going to be interesting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to having a chance to, to, to meet him and chat with him, hopefully in the fall. As yeah, well. we're uh, due to go up to Burlington this winter. So uh, that will be something that I think we're both looking forward to. Uh, just to take a look around college hockey, Mike, let's get your thoughts on a few of the uh, topics that are going around. Let's start down in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, Alabama Huntsville uh, was about to see the program cut. They had a massive fundraising effort. They raised, I believe it was $750,000. And uh, the club will be back for this year. But uh, beyond that, they're going to have to raise some serious capital, Mike, to uh, stay in the game long term. Yeah, and it's been interesting, too, to follow that where, uh, you know, uh, head coach Mike Corbett resigned. And, um, you know, so there's going to be turnover there. And it kind of sounds like that, that, that some of the folks that were – behind a lot of that fundraising, uh, you know, thought that there should be a change. And I suppose, you know, it, it's not too surprising given that um, they, they won two out of 34 games last year. They were 226 and six. And, uh, you know, so I, I mean, that's going to happen, I suppose. Um, it's been a tough situation to be in, you know, being down there. And I think that I had a chance to, I know that to um, sort of, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, really uh, meet or, or know Mike Corbett uh, that well, but a number of years back, just kind of communicating with him about some things or some of the uh, some of the stuff that I was doing, some of the reporting. And uh, again, you know, a, a good guy who I think wanted the best for his team as well. And, and that's probably why, you know, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big controversy there, whatever, um, you know. He, he decided, and I think he got that out of the story that Adam had on College Hockey News this week, that, you know, he was trying to do uh, what he thought was probably in the best interest of the, of the team there and, uh, you know, a chance for him to try to uh, move on and find something else to do as well. But it's going to be interesting, I think, because, like you said, uh, they raised a, a good amount of money to, to keep the team. That's First of all, it's kind of I, – I don't really understand why you would – announced that you've cut the program 
And then several days later, the GoFundMe gets started outside of the athletic department. It's, you know, basically by people who really wanted to see the, the team stay. And, uh, you know, and, and but but then with the backing of the school that, OK, well, if you achieve this goal, then we'll keep it around. I, I can't think of another situation, another situation where something like this has happened. And you do have to wonder. Okay. Yes. It, 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 I think it's great. I've been down to Huntsville. I don't know if you have, I've been down there at least uh, for baseball and, uh, and seeing, um, you know, how they support baseball down there. It was in the summertime. So I haven't been down there for, uh, you know, for hockey, but it's, it's definitely, it's, it's an area people say, why is there hockey in Huntsville? Well, NASA's down yep. there, right? So, the, and that's a big reason. A lot of folks from the North, uh, even from Canada had moved down there to work for NASA and played hockey and, or they're, they're, you know, had their kids play hockey. So, uh, that's how it really got started, I think. And uh, and they've got a, they've had an East Coast League team that has been pretty successful too, if I remember. So it's a team that it's just, it's a place where I think if they're if they're if they win, the fans will get behind them. The challenge has been certainly, uh, you know, trying to get players down there to be successful. And that's what the the that's what's going to happen now. Here is yes, they're back for a year. Are they back for more than a year? If players go there, what are they? And you were, you've seen players that departed before the the decision was made to bring them back after the GoFundMe succeeded and they raised the money and the school said, okay, uh, we'll keep the keep the team this year. Um, but you've also seen some players that have departed after that because they're still not comfortable with the situation. Yep. That's a big challenge that they're going to have to get through. I I don't know how you do it. I think that um, you know they've got to somehow project some stability. And the other big thing, of course, is the. Uh, the, the WCHA morphing into the CCHA with the seven schools that uh, seven schools other than the two Alaskas in Alabama Huntsville that are forming what's you know reforming I guess the CCHA and uh, and Alabama Huntsville at least to date has not been one of those teams and you would think that they'd like to get to an even eight but they're also I believe that those other seven schools left the other three because they didn't feel like they they commitment was where it needed to be or the you know at least the long-term stability there so that's something that i think you know the administration at alabama huntsville now that they have agreed to keep the team uh going after the the gofundme succeeded they now have a lot of work to do on their part to give the whether it's lance west or somebody else who ends up getting the job give that coach all of the tools that he needs to be successful so that that's the next thing that everybody's going to watch and see what happens yeah and you know it's uh recruiting also becomes an issue you know you have to players have to be convinced that hey if they're thinking about alabama if they're thinking about alabama huntsville you know they, they have to be thinking beyond that one year so you're right there's a lot of challenges down there that they're facing uh, yeah and one of the things i had heard by the way is you know some of the other coaches that have been that are in mind that you know may end up coaching there whether it's assistants or what have you they do have some guys that have gone on to the pros and maybe they bring those back and those are a connection there. And, and uh, you know, so again, we talked about it before of uh, players looking for, uh, you know, who, how can I get to the next level? I think that I have a chance to, to play college and then play pro. And uh, you know, so if they have some guys there that they think are, are you know, can, can really send that message to players that, that can help them to do that, that's going to help. Um, but I also think it's going to be even bigger. To, to, you know, what's the future going to be like? Um, you know, I'm not sure it's going to be, it, it, it will be, challenging to get players to come to a place where they don't know what's going to happen say after next year and I actually I also just wanted as we were touching back on the the coronavirus and everything you know 
uh, talking about players that I think are looking for stability and looking for, for what you can expect. Uh, and I don't know if this is a topic you were going to bring up or not, but uh, Boston College, for example, just lost a couple of very good recruits to Major Junior yeah. um, up, up in the Quebec League. And, um, and, and, and there, there been, that's happened with some other players as well. And certainly Boston College is, is the type of a program that recruits the players that are so good that they're naturally, you know, they're going to have those opportunities. They've lost players to Major Junior before that's happened. Um, but I also wonder whether or not there's something a little bit different going on this year, where if you are a player of that caliber, you know, a player who, uh, you know, is going to go very high in the NHL draft and, uh, you know, has been recruited to BC, but you've also uh, got very serious interest, you know, to play Major Junior Hockey. Um, and you have to look at these two situations. And even apart from this, players are looking at it and saying, what's the best path for me, uh, you know, to try to get to the next level. But you've also got this year, I think, we just talked about all that uncertainty. Our team's gonna, uh, is college hockey going to start up in the fall? Is it not going to happen until January? It might not even happen at all in a worst case scenario, right? Well, if you're, if you're one of these players and you're looking at this and you think maybe you're even talking to to the major junior teams who are telling you, yeah, we're going to play. Don't worry about it. We'll play, you know, and it's a different situation, right? Because uh, Jerry York just doesn't have to worry about whether or not his team's going to be able to play. It's whether or not the school's going to be open. Right. Is the school even going to allow, you know, his players to come back on campus? Right. Whereas if, if you're a major junior hockey team, it's pretty much, it's up to right. you pretty much. I mean, there might be whatever regulations, whatever's going on in the town or in the, in the city that you're in, but you know, more likely than not, it's going to be up to, well, it'll be up to the league, I suppose. And the teams in the league as a whole will decide if they're going to play or not. But I would think that there's, I mean, if you had to ask me, there's a better chance that major junior hockey will be, will get going on a normal schedule this fall than college hockey. Doesn't mean college hockey won't. There just seems to be so much uncertainty right now. And there are so many other factors at play. So that be, for that reason alone, I, I wouldn't I'm not surprised to see players decide that they're going to take that major junior route this year with with it. They may feel very confident that at least they're going to play. this Right. Year. Mike, we got to move on to the next topic. Let's talk about uh, Long Island University. Uh, they are now division one. Uh, they are planning on uh, getting a team together. And uh, so we have our 61st college hockey team coming in Long Island University. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. Another Northeast conference school, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and Merrimack having joined that league in division one last year and, uh, you know, for all sports. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, that obviously caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, I don't know where they're going to end up eventually. Uh, it's really a big challenge. I wonder why they decided that they wanted to do it this fall uh, so quickly, as opposed to saying, we're going to spend the next year recruiting and getting everything in set, you know, set and in order and so on. And uh, and then start up the year after that. But it sounds like they may have already landed some games. I mean, I saw I think it was Mark Diver, uh, you know, who had posted that they may open up against Lowell and they may have BU on the schedule as well and some other schools. And, and that would actually be really interesting. Both, um, you, know, you know, they may feel like I, I don't I don't know that this is true, but they we were talking before about the fact that schools may want to stay regionally with all of the, with everything that's going on with the coronavirus. Right. Well, maybe, maybe LIU thinks a number, uh, we're going to be able to get games this year, even though usually everybody's got their schedule nailed down that schools, you know, we saw Holy Cross, right. Had to back out of the gate. They're not going to Arizona this year. Well, that's a couple of games that are available. Holy Cross could go down and back to LIU or vice versa, right. uh, you know, in a day, for instance, that may be more palatable to them. They may be thinking that, 
they're going to get enough games doing that as well as your, your odd exhibition games here and there against club teams and so on. Because I think, you know, we've seen other teams do it. Penn state did it in their, that transition year they had, they were playing some club teams and, and some NCAA teams and, you know, LIU is not going to want to be in a situation where it's, where you you know you lose every game or you lose almost every game you want some games that, that you know you're going to be able to win and and so they'll have a mix on their schedule they'll have some games that'll be it'll be tough outs for them no question i mean liu against lowell i think that that'll be that'll be a tough go for them especially if it's their, if it is their first game but they'll have some other games i think that they could play and uh the interesting thing is going to be you know long term what's the long term situation here the long term future right because you've got two Eastern leagues in Atlantic hockey and hockey East that have an odd number of teams. And presumably you think they, each of them would like to get to an even number uh, makes certain, certainly makes uh, scheduling a lot easier. Uh, can make playoffs easier as well. Um, but then you've also got sacred heart in Atlantic hockey, right? Which is uh, building that new yeah. rank. And I, I don't know how the coronavirus situation has affected that. It may have, I haven't heard anything yet about that, but uh, you know, presumably it's going to happen at some point. And uh, there's, and talk already that they're eyeing that 12th spot in hockey East. Um, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how LIU is able to do and, you know, what kind of uh, improvement that they make. And are they able to get to a point, you know, they're going to have to, you know, certainly rise to the point where they're, they're beating at least Atlantic hockey teams and so on. Uh, you know, whether it's early on or at some point, you know, to be able to start to get, you know, they, they need, they need to get some buzz around the program down there. They need to get, uh, you know, feeling like we can be successful and so on. And that's going to take time. So I don't think we're going to know even for a few years, but um, I think they made a really good hire. In yeah. Brett Riley. I mean, the Riley's have, have been successful, all of them, whatever they've done. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it, it's like the first family almost of, of, uh, of U.S. hockey, U.S. college hockey. And, uh, uh, you, you know, so I, I think he, he's, he's got his work cut out for him in terms of trying to build a right. team so quickly. But, but he's been able to do that before, at least at the Division three level. So uh, we'll Absolutely, see what he can do here. Mike. And the other thing uh, in college hockey that I feel compelled to touch on was the Retirement of Bob Gaudet. He's stepping down from Dartmouth. He's been there forever. Merrimack and Dartmouth are supposed to play this year, but uh, uh, Dartmouth went to the NHL. They, uh, they're bringing in Reed Cashman to be the head coach there, but Bob Gaudet certainly made a, a tremendous impact on college hockey, not only at Dartmouth and the ECAC, but in the game as a whole. And, and, and he sure did. You know, he played for those great Dartmouth teams back in the, the late 70s and early 80s. Um, you know, uh, the last time Dartmouth went to the Frozen Four, um, and you have the, uh, uh, you, you know, he, he took a Brown team that I think had won maybe one game and, and got them eventually to the NCAA tournament. You know, he, he got to Dartmouth, and Dartmouth was a team that had struggled also for a number of years and, and had them, you know, I mean, they were there, there were years that they were among the better teams in the ECAC. That's such a tough league that it's, it's, you know, tough to actually be the top team in that league. And you just look at what like Cornell was able to do this year, for example, and teams that have won the NCAA championship recently uh, out of the ECAC or gone to the, uh, gone to the NCAA frozen Four, the championship game, like, uh, you know, uh, Quinnipiac's gone there, obviously union won the league uh, one. Well, I mean, won the uh, NCAA tournament, but um, I, I mean, his teams were consistently competitive and more often than not, 
you know, better than average uh, in the league. And I think that he's also uh, just, you know, a guy that when you talk about realizing that college hockey is about turning out good people, good, good people, good students are going to be successful in what they do. And also certainly good hockey players. He's been able to do that, sending guys onto the NHL, onto the business world, what have you, you know, whatever path a guy might have. He, he's been able to help them to get there. And that's been, that's, uh, you know, when you do that and, and you reach the point that you, you decide that it's time to hang it up, time to retire. And, and you know that you've been able to do that. And it's, uh, it's gotta be a good feeling. I, I mean, I, I've always had nothing but the utmost respect for him. And I'm, I'm sad that when I get, a ch- not going to get a chance to see him next year. And, you know, because it's been a while since Merrimack has played Dartmouth, uh, but looking forward to Reed Cashman. Uh, you know, a Quinnipiac guy who had uh, tremendous success there. And uh, like you said, NHL, and then coming back, talking about another guy going to the NHL. It's kind of interesting that we're seeing this happen. Uh, college hockey teams going to schools, going to uh, the NHL and, and bringing guys back. I, I think that it's uh, it's certainly a good sign. Also a good sign that those guys want to do that. And it'll be a lot of fun, I think, to see. We're talking with Mike Magnick, uh, longtime color analyst from uh, Merrimack College Hockey and uh We'll remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Anchor, the number one podcasting app on the market today. With the Anchor app, it's so easy to make a great-sounding podcast, and the best part, the Anchor app is free. The Anchor app contains creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone or computer. Anchor takes care of distributing your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many more places where podcasts are heard. You can also make money with your podcast with no minimum listenership. Trust me, everything you need to make a great-sounding podcast all in one place is with the Anchor app. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Mike, there's uh, also a few rule changes that uh, they're talking about on the horizon. One has to do with overtime. They're talking about having a uniform overtime policy throughout all the college hockey. And what they're going to be voting on in late July is going to be the idea of a five-minute three-on-three overtime and then a three-player shootout for league and in-season tournament games. So I know you've got some thoughts about overtime. Uh, What do you feel about this plan? Yeah, I was waiting for you to get to this. What's your take uh, on You know, it? my take is if it's not broken, don't fix it. But on the other hand, I think it's going to create excitement for the fans. I think, uh, you know, this idea of more open ice, I think, is going to be exciting. But, you know, to me, Mike, uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I liked, uh, I liked the way they did it. But, uh, you know, what's your take on it? Well, I think we're probably dinosaurs to a certain extent because I don't think either you or I mind if a game ends up in a tie if that's the way that it should, right? So, you know, I'll be honest and say that's where I come from on this. I've never minded, you know, if a game ended up in a tie or if a team had a lot of ties. You know, there was that uh, time not that long ago, I think Harvard had 10 or 11 ties in a season. And I I realized that it was a lot, but it kind of, it, you know, it goes up and down. That's my take on it. And uh, even if, you know, there may be more ties the, these days than there used to be. I think that's just a function of the fact that scoring is down generally. And so when scores are lower, you, you, you know, it's probably more likely that you'll end up in a tie. And defense has been so much better goaltending as well that, uh, you know, games that do get into overtime, you know, maybe more likely to end up in a tie as a result. I, it's never bothered me. But at the same time, I can see some of the arguments for it. Um, you know, I, well, I'll say, say, first of all, I don't like the idea of deciding a game any other way than, than the way that the game 
was meant to be played by the rules. So the game is a five yeah. on five game, right? Now, if it ends up, if you end up five on four, four on four, even three on three, whatever, because of penalties, then then that's okay. It is what it is, right? I don't like the idea of just pulling players off the ice and jumping right to three on three and saying, this is what we're going to use to decide the game. It just doesn't, I, I it's not, it's not the way that the game was was meant to and be you know played. What? In you my make opinion. a good point. Okay. If I could just interject here, the the, the way that this sure. is going to be set up is that as soon as the regular sixty minutes are over, you're not going to go to a break. You're just going to go directly into the three on three. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you do have that, right? I mean, the ice isn't yeah. going to be that great, right? <laughs> but you are going to have you know, teams that, you know, three on three. And uh, I suppose the thinking is, you know, the more skilled teams might have the advantage and maybe that's what you want. But um, I mean, will you? Maybe not because almost every team's got two or three guys they can put on the ice that are that are, are dangerous, right? So I, I think it's not necessarily going to be bad for, you know, the underdog in a given game like that. But I just don't like the idea of, I mean, you know, I've seen three on three where it seems like, yeah, it can be exciting, but then there's times that it's almost like a chess match, you know, and you're just trying to find ways, you know, the guys, everybody's trying to, you know, find some open ice. And certainly there's a lot of open ice, but you're trying to, you know, take advantage of the angles and so on to, to, uh, to uh, you know, to try to get good scoring chances and things like that. Um, it just doesn't, it seems, it's strange to me, you know, I never liked the shootout um, to decide a game either. And, and I suppose that that, is something that may still come into play that if, if it remains tied after the three on three, that it'll go in the books as a tie, but leagues can decide to, uh, you know, add the shootout if they want in order to, uh, to decide the game from a league perspective, I suppose that might happen. Um, I don't know. Again, it's uh, so I've given you reasons why I don't like it. Why I do like the move if they do end up doing it is that a, everybody will have the same rules. And and that's what we're talking about here, except for whatever happens with the shootout. We're not sure yet. That's still up in the air. But it sounds like at least everything with the three on three in in overtime, in sun death overtime, that would be every that would be the case everywhere. So, um, I mean, how many times have we seen that one team goes, they play a non league game somewhere else, and the, the right. overtime rules are so totally different from the way that that they're used to in their league, and and sometimes there's even confusion. They don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, guys are milling around in front of the bench trying to figure out what, what happens here. You know, is it, is it five on five? Is it four on four? What is it here? Right. So we've seen that happen. Um, it'll be, it'll be good that everybody's on the same page. I think that that's important for all the leagues to be. Hockey might be the only sport. It's the only one I can think of that I know of, uh, at the college level, at least that has games decided in a different right. manner from one league to the next. I mean, you don't see it in like in basketball, right? Where, you know, maybe they pull two guys off the floor and, in, in uh, you know, in the ACC or whatever to, for an overtime, right. you don't see things like that happen. Uh, even football, everybody uses the same overtime format. So even though you have such varied, uh, you know, levels of football, everybody's still playing it the same way. So that'll be good. And the other thing is that, we talk a lot about these guys going on to the pros and, and having aspirations to play pro hockey and moving on and, um, you know, what does it take to get there and so on. It, I can see the argument that, well, let's try to play the game, uh, at least, in you know, in, in some ways to be as similar to that as possible. It doesn't mean everything. Like it doesn't mean, you know, you got to bring back fighting or, you know, uh, get rid of the face mask and things like that. But, um, you know, th- there may be something to that, that, you know, it helps guys to get a little bit more experience, at least, you know, in the game situation, in that pressure type of situation in a shootout. And um, 
you know, and so from that standpoint too, I could, I could sort of see it, but uh, so if you had to ask me, you know, all things being equal, I, I don't see a reason, at least in hockey East to change what, uh, what the format has been, but I like the idea of everybody being on the same page and perhaps, uh, you know, taking another step to it's trying to do some things that right. And I should also mention to. that there would not be any shootouts for non-league games. Uh, it would be, you know, you'd have the sh- a three player shootout for the league and then for in season tournaments, you'd have that as well, but no shootouts for the non-league game. So that's, they're yeah. going to vote on that July 22nd. So we'll see, we'll see if that passes. Another mm-hmm. thing. They're going to vote. Yeah. They're going to vote on zoom. I assume, right? Some face-off rule changes, uh, Face-off violations would get a warning, and then uh, if it happens again, they would assess a two-minute uh, minor penalty. And the thing I was found that was interesting was teams can pick the face-off circle that they want to draw from after an icing uh, and to start a power play. So uh, I think the whole idea behind this is to you know create more scoring opportunities in the overtime. Sure. Well, if you've got guys that you're going to put on the ice that, that you think have more success on one side than the other, or, you know, you've got, you've got certain plays that you think that your team has an advantage on, then then you may want to be be able to pick the side of the ice that you want the faceoff to be held on, you know? So that, I think that makes sense to me. Certainly, to, um, you know, certainly makes sense to me. Um, one of the things I would like to see, and I haven't heard any mention of it, but I know that I, I'm pretty sure you and I are both on the same page on this one, is that I'd like to see uniformity in how yep. replay is handled. So that we everybody knows from one league to the next, you know, let's have some uniformity in terms of what's going to be communicated to to hopefully to the building, you know, to the fans there, or at least if you know if possible to the media who then can communicate it to the fans. But we, we've just seen so many differences from one league to the next, and and how that's handled. And um, you know, I, I think that it would be a real advantage to the sport. Uh, hey, it's been great in the NHL, hasn't it? since oh, they yeah. started micing the referees and, and, and letting them come out and, and say what's going on. Everybody loves it. It's great. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to go that far, but let's at least make it so that when you're, when you're reviewing something, you know, what's being looked at, not just right. the plays under review. Okay. And then when a decision is made, what decision was made, you know, what, what, what happened, right? Everybody always wonders how, how you always hear it after the game. Why did they, what were they looking at? Nobody knows. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and sometimes there's very few people in the entire building that even know what, what was being looked at there. I, I think transparency is good. I think it's good to have everybody aware of what's going on. And, and, and we've seen it work in other leagues, right? We, we've, you and I both talked about that trip out to Minnesota Duluth where they came around, they told you, they announced it in the rink. Uh, it was very clear whenever there was a replay, what it was they were looking at and then what the decision was made. I can't see any reason why you yeah, wouldn't you know, want to do I, that. I guess anyway. we should also mention that when, when we were in Duluth, they brought us food into the press box too. Now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're saying they bought off our, our opinion. You know, where, maybe <laughs> where, that, where, that could maybe be <laughs> another place in college hockey that, that does that. But uh, Notre Dame was great too. Cause they had the, the food spread right behind us there, but uh, no, no. You... I thought you were going to ask me about places to, to visit and places to go. That's a, that's a fun yeah. topic too, but. Um, yeah, that was yeah, a lot absolutely. of fun to go to. But, the you know, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think with the with the replay, I think what you want is you at the very least, you want it to commu- be communicated to the public address announcer and then the public address announcer can pass it on there. I don't think it's rocket science, Mike. I think, you know, if the officials can communicate it to the PA man and then uh, we can get it out to the to the uh, audience, uh, you know, broadcasters, too. Uh, I think that's a great thing. 
Right, and you've got uh, Brian Murphy, I yes, think it is, taking point. over now in Hockey East, uh, the, the head of officials. And uh, I would not be surprised to see that be one of the things that he may want to work on. And, you know, and you got a guy coming from the NHL there, right? So, um, you know, a guy that knows that that kind of communication and transparency is really appreciated and works, you know, works for the schools and the players and the coaches and the fans and everything. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if if that's – some one of the things well, that Mike, he tries to bring we're in. We're going to have to wrap it up here very, very soon. But uh, just a quick thought, uh, you know, what do you have planned for the summer? I've seen, uh, you know, the kids on Facebook, they're very active with, uh, with the uh, activities they're involved with. Uh, you know, how, how, how do you plan on navigating the summer? Yeah, well, it looks like we've got baseball, like I said, starting up this week and softball too. So I'll be coaching baseball. Uh, there'll be some conflicts. I won't be able to coach softball as well with the girls, but uh coaching my son's baseball team and uh, right now we, we don't have a team yet we just have practices and uh they're still not allowed to have groups larger than 10 so it's going to be a small group of kids and and a couple of coaches that start this week and then we're just going to go from there hopefully we'll get to the point that we'll be able to play some games and hopefully we do continue to see a, a good trend in the numbers and the coronavirus and you know feel like we can continue to move on to the next phase as it were and, and like i said be able to have games um so i'm looking forward to that i hope that'll be the case um, and then, you know, just trying to get ready for the college hockey season. Hopefully that'll start up in the fall. Um, but only if it's safe, uh, certainly that has to be the case, uh, going to be safe, uh, everywhere that would need to be. So, uh, that's pretty much what's going on here. And I, I will usually take a week and go to the beach for the summer. Uh, don't know yet, yet for certain if that's going to happen, but beaches have certainly opened up in, uh, up here in New Hampshire and, uh, the kids are looking forward to it if they can go. Uh, it's not for about a let me see about a month and a half that that we would do that end of end of July beginning of August. So we're, uh, we're kind of crossing our fingers there. And again, it's got to be it's got it's got to be right. It's got to be yeah. safe. Uh, you just uh, you don't want to take a chance with this thing. I mean, I, I, we're at the point now. I know some people. I know people that have been affected by it. Uh, you, I'm sure you do as well. And um, it's it's kind of scary, you know. I think that you, you don't want to take it lightly. Um, you want people to be able to do what they can and work. You know, certainly that's a big thing. People need to be able to get back to work. They need to be able to make money and provide for their families and so on. But it's got to be safe. People don't have to, people, you don't want people to feel like they, you know, they've got to go to a job and be in an uns unsafe situation, you know, because if they don't, then they can't provide. That's, we, we can't have that happening. Everybody's got to be doing their part. And working together and hopefully uh we continue to yeah and you know of course your bride kelly she is uh, she teaches up there in new hampshire and now is she is she, is she going to get a little uh time off here she's been working very hard she has there's still going to be i know that there'll be some like post-mortem uh after remote learning to figure out what what it is that worked but didn't work if they have to do it again I don't think there's been a decision yet on what they're going to do in the fall as far as school goes, whether they'll open up or, you know, go remote again or whether or not there'll be some combination of that. I, I have a feeling it may be the latter that you may have uh, a lot of people that do will want the kids to go back, but you may have some people that just don't feel comfortable about it, but you still have to, you know, be able to provide them with, with a proper education and everything. So I think they're going to be working all that stuff and she's going to be right in the middle of that trying to, work everything out as well. And she's still trying to wrap up for, you know, her school year is not quite done yet. It's, it's, it should be wrapped up in the next week or so, but uh, she's worked so hard. Uh, I'm sure other teachers, it's the same thing. I've seen the work that she's done up till after midnight, many nights, you know, after having been up already all day, getting on 
calls with students, calls with other teachers, administrators, going over things, uh, making videos for students, uh, you, you know, accepting uh, classwork, homework tests, and then correcting that and, and so on. It's been so much work. It's, uh, I don't know how she's done it. And I've been fortunate in that my job, my full-time job, I work from home anyway. So that's, uh, to me, it's probably been not that much of a change, but you know, for, for so many other people, it has been a really, really big change. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, like we said, hopefully we're able to safely uh, get back. Well, to Mike, we certainly salute home. Kelly and the job she does. Uh, I'm wishing a great summer for the kids. Uh, and uh, I really want to thank you for taking some time. Uh, I know you worked all day and then to jump on here, that's kind of an extra responsibility, but it's always great talking hockey with you. And, uh, you know, like yourself, I'm hoping that we can get this thing going in October and have as little disruption as possible. And again, I really appreciate you taking some time with us tonight. And I know our audience is going to love it. Yeah, it's always great to do this, talk about some issues. I hope we have a chance maybe sometime to maybe kind of reminisce a little, go back and some talk about some of the great moments of the past. That's an awful lot of fun to do that. And maybe uh, some of the folks that are listening, uh, you know, uh, if they're Merrimack fans, for example, we can talk about some of those great moments of the past, great moments of college hockey and so on. Uh, uh, we, we've been fortunate to be able to be in the middle of some of that. And uh, I, I, at a time like this, I've enjoyed things like, watching uh, Nesson replaying old games, Red Sox. They had a game from the 1967 Red Sox the other day, or the Bruins, you know, highlights from the 1970 and 72 seasons, things like that. So that's one plus for me out of this. It's been nice to be able to see some of that, some of those things that they, they pulled out of the vaults that I'd never seen before. So that's been an, an awful lot of fun. But getting back to actually uh, something approaching normal, as we said, that's the goal here. So absolutely, Mike. Well, well. Uh, again, thanks so much for stopping by tonight. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll certainly be in touch. We'll be talking a lot more. And we're definitely, definitely going to have you back on the podcast again. Yeah, it's an awful lot of fun. Always, uh, I, uh, always been appreciative and enjoying the opportunity to, to call games with you. So, uh, hey, it's just a lot of fun to talk about the sport, right? So, you know, any opportunities to do that are good. And I want to send my best to your to your lovely bride, Lori, as well. Uh, I'm sure she's working really hard through all of this. And um, I saw you guys had a, a, a nice uh, time over. I think it was uh, yeah. down in Pawtucket the other day. So uh, so that that's great. Do more of that. Get out when you can. You know, do it safely, of course. But, uh, but do that. And I'm sure we'll all see right. each He's other Mike again Magnick, real soon. Longtime Merrimack radio analyst, also working for uh, College Hockey News. And uh, Mike, uh, you can hear he and I on the Merrimack radio hockey broadcast throughout the course of the year. That's going to do it for this episode of Airing It Out. Files from Leahy's Locker Room. We invite you to stay with us. We'll have another episode next week. So for Mike Macknick, I'm John Leahy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we will see you next week on Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. So long, everybody. Mike, we actually are still recording, so I'm going to need to cut it off, but I can call you if need be. All right. All right. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.